it's so easy to have faith when everything in your life is going well. It's easy to go to church when it feels hospitable and joyful and you're making friends and everything is good and you have no financial struggles, no conflict in your family, your job is great, you know, all of that. It's easy to have faith. I was at the gym last week and I looked over at one of the stations next to me and I saw a bunch of cheese. It was crazy. I was like, why is all this cheese at the gym? And let me tell you, shredded. (laughs) Everybody. (laughs) I don't know why I like that joke so much. Welcome to episode 192. If this is your first time joining us, (laughs) this is your first time joining us. We start every episode with a dad joke. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Uh, And if it's your first time listening, please rate and review this podcast. It helps other people find it. You can find all of our social media and ways to get in contact with us on our website at manafoodforthought.com or manafft.com. And while you're there, please click on the subscribe button. And for free, you will get our weekly Psalm Reflection emailed to you every Wednesday morning. That's the only email we send. And you can also click on the Give button if you feel so inclined to become a patron and sponsor this podcast financially by contributing as little as $1 a month, and patrons get perks. Uh, Those perks are still in the works, my friends. Pray for me. Um, But occasionally you'll get some pretty cool stuff as well, just access to other talks and things like that that I give around. So thank you for all of our patrons and all of your support and um, helping cover the cost of this podcast. Uh, And as always, the greatest compliment you can pay me in this podcast is to share this with your family and friends. So tell somebody about it, especially if you hear an episode that has impacted you or you think could impact someone else. Uh, That's how people find out about these things. So there's so many Catholic podcasts out there, so many that don't need to exist. Probably this one as well doesn't need to exist, but uh, so it's hard to search for certain things or find them. So if you find a particular thing impactful, that's the best way other people will find it, is just for you to share it with them. So thank you for those of you who do that. Let's get into our joy, junk, and Jesus. Uh, my joy this week, um, as I've mentioned, I've been in a Dungeons & Dragons group with um, some friends, and that's been bringing a lot of joy. This past week was just very entertaining and fun, uh, and so that, uh, that has been really great. And we had a revival night, um, and so that's more of a Jesus moment probably, um, but a lot of holiday festivities as well. We went to a chalk walk at a local um, Mormon church stake, um, and that was really great. Uh, They do all of this elaborate artwork on chalk pallets, and then they set it all up around their parking lot, and you can walk around, and there's cinnamon rolls and all this stuff, so it was really cool. Uh, So a lot of great things to be joyful for. Uh, Junk is that uh, my kids are a little sick. They're a little sniffly, but the junk part is like they do not get the like, don't suck your boogers up, don't make yourself cough when your throat hurts, like don't keep rubbing your nose with tissues. You're going to make it raw and red. They don't get to not like keep touching their face and like all this stuff. So I don't know, beyond like putting them in like a, a, a rabies shame cone or like putting taping mittens to their hands, neither of which I want to do as an ethical parent. Uh, if you have any tips out there, all of you seasoned parents on how to teach your children not to do those things so that illnesses will not last as long or creep creep in as frequently, that would be much appreciated. Um, my other junk was um, I had my formation for spiritual direction, my class for the month, and I love doing spiritual direction. I really do feel called to it, but this formation program that I'm in, I just am really questioning its value, and um, they keep pressing the Enneagram. 
and like the Enneagram is this kind of, I mean, there's multiple classes on this. And the Enneagram is a great self-awareness tool. Like I'm totally on board for being self-aware and kind of knowing your personality and knowing your different tics and things like that. But um, the Catholic Church actually made a statement in a letter like 20 years ago that the Enneagram, when it's used as a tool for spiritual growth, uh, because of its non-Christian origins and because of the way it can be applied, uh, introduces ambiguity into Christian doctrine and the life of faith. And so it shouldn't be used in that way. And this is exactly how this program is using it. And that, and it's a Catholic organization, not necessarily a Catholic program, but it's a Catholic group doing it. And so I just find that very like upsetting and I've tried to voice that and, you know, I don't think it's being heard. So I'm just kind of, you know, stomaching my way through those classes and knowing that I'm not going to use it. Plus, like if you're in spiritual direction, you're not like diagnosing someone. You're not going to make someone do a personality assessment. They just come in, you listen to them and you pray with them and you see how the Holy Spirit directs. Like, and if you don't have the gifts to do that, you shouldn't need this auxiliary personality test to help you, you know? Um, so it just seems to me practically and theologically to have absolutely no place in this program. So anyway, uh, rant over, that's just kind of driving me a little crazy. Um, so yeah, I had to endure that this, this past weekend, but, um, things are great. Otherwise, um, Jesus moments. As I was um, finishing that class, I had to do the second part of that class. It's all online. So I had to do the second part of my class in my office. And as I was leaving, uh, it was right during the time frame of confessions. And I looked through the church windows and it seemed like there was a confession door open and no one in line. And I was like, you know what? I'll just pop in um, to kind of get some of that, you know, emotional and difficulty in ways I might be thinking uncharitably off of me. And I got to walk right into the confessional and I was in confession for maybe a minute and then got to walk right out and go home. It was really awesome. Um, just a little grace, kind of a surprise um, that I hadn't intended, but was so grateful I got to do that. So uh, it's so wonderful the ways that the Lord surprises us with his grace every single week. And hopefully we notice. So let's get into our episode for this week. This upcoming Sunday is the third Sunday of Advent, also known as Gaudete Sunday, which is Latin for rejoice because we are rejoicing that the light is breaking through the darkness and we are coming closer and closer to the joy of Christmas. And so you'll see rose-colored vestments and uh, environment at your churches, hopefully. Hopefully they change that over um, to help show a glimmer of that joy that is to come. And so in our second reading, which we always look at for this upcoming Sunday, it comes from the book of First Thessalonians. And Thessalonians is believed to be the, the first letter written, the earliest written part of the New Testament. So the first thing of the New Testament that was written down chronologically. It was written somewhere around the year 50. I think the only other contender for that is maybe Galatians as the earliest. But it's, scholars pretty much are in consensus that First Thessalonians was the first written. And Paul, he spent a very short time with the church in Thessalonica, which is in modern day Greece. Um, and you can read about that in Acts chapter 17. And so he's only there for a little bit, I think like a month, month and a half, something, not even, maybe even not even that long. And he gets kind of uh, like moved out of the city by the Jewish leadership that doesn't want to hear what he has to say. Um, and they, I think they threaten his life, which is a common theme for Paul. Uh, and then he ends up hearing later that they are suffering and they're really struggling in trying to live out their faith. So he sends them his traveling companion, Timothy. And... Um, Timothy relays to them, you know, what's going on, and he writes them this letter, uh, and he commends them for their faith, um, for he points out that they're, they have a common persecution, that he knows what they're going through. He's, he encourages them to have hope in the Lord, 
and he, he takes some opportunity to correct some of the immoral behaviors that are are leading to some of these difficulties. So things like sexual immorality, making sure that um, all of the work that they do is oriented toward the service of others and not toward themselves or making money or anything else. And so these are the different practices or things that are going on in the church that Paul is speaking to. And the reading from this upcoming Sunday is from the uh, closing chapter of 1 Thessalonians. It's from chapter 5, verses 16 through 24. So it's towards the end. So Paul here is giving them this kind of like final exhortation, um, uh, final pieces of advice in his letter to keep persevering in the faith in the midst of their struggles and persecution. So this is what he writes. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 24. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In all circumstances, give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances. Test everything. Retain what is good. Refrain from every kind of evil. May the God of peace make you perfectly holy, and may you entirely, spirit, soul, and body, be preserved blameless for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will also accomplish it. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I love this passage from 1 Thessalonians. It's, it's jam-packed. It's almost like reads like Proverbs in the beginning, like it's the Proverbs of Paul, these kind of final exhortations that you can just take one line and meditate with and, and, and keep. <clears throat> but I love this kind of theme of rejoicing and praying and having peace and, and being holy and all of this, because at this time, uh, this was in direct contrast to the kind of peace and security of the Roman Empire. Like the Roman Empire was known for this Pax Romana, Roman peace, but it was a really enforced peace. Like you will not have conflict because we are more powerful than you and we will tell you how to live and what taxes to pay us and everything is fine. And that's not true peace. Like true peace is not, as I said before, it's not just the absence of conflict. It's this recognition that all things are as they should be. And there's a sense of joy and fulfillment in that place. And there's a, a kind of collective sense of belonging as well. There's this quote from Mother Teresa, um, if we have no peace, it's because we have forgotten that we belong to one another. And so peace doesn't come from this internal sense of like, everything's fine with me and just me. There's no conflict in me. But peace is also this sense that like everything around me and in my life is as it should be. And it's funny that Paul you know, is, is pointing out that, uh, that the Lord can do that in people's lives and that we are meant to rejoice in the midst of this persecution they're experiencing to enforce this kind of secular idea of Roman peace. That in the midst of this persecution, spending very little time with them, not having enough time to instruct them, sending them help, but knowing they're dealing with the, this Roman persecution um, and persecution from the Jews who do not want to, um, to convert or listen to the way of Jesus Christ. Um, he tells them to rejoice and to pray, and to give thanks, and to refrain from every kind of evil. And it's interesting, that advice, because, you know, uh, that's not what would be accustomed. You know, on the other side of the coin, if this was happening to Rome, Rome would be like, you know, punish them with severity. You know, let them know who is in charge. Use your authority and exercise it to enforce this peace and absence of conflict that everyone will know that we're in charge. And that's not at all the Christian way or the way of Jesus. What Paul here is saying is, is saying that good enough is not good enough. Let me say that again. Good enough is not good enough. 
If things in our life are just okay, like that is not what the Lord is calling us to. The Spirit promises us peace and joy, love, patience, kindness, all those fruits of the Spirit. And the, the Spirit does not settle. The Holy Spirit does not settle. It is wild. It is moving. It's both destructive and creative because those are the things and forces that bring change, that bring transformation. It doesn't destruct in an evil way, but it destructs and destroys those things. Destructs is not a word, I don't think. But it destroys those things in our life, those obstacles that prevent us from having a deeper relationship with God and living in the joy that God is calling us to. So how do you have joy? How do you have joy even in the midst of persecution, what's going on in your life, even in the midst of the busyness of the season? Because this Sunday, which is supposed to be all about joy, can very much be overshadowed by the stress of this holiday season, the grief and despair of the fact that there are loved ones who have died that won't be with us this year, the overwhelming sense of anxiety because maybe you don't have the money to provide the gifts or the experiences you want to for your family. Maybe this is just a difficult time of year for you for some other reason. But that joy can can often be overshadowed and we can feel like joy is not possible in the midst of suffering or persecution or busyness or noise or anxiety or grief or loss or despair, and the list goes on. And what Paul is reminding us is even in the midst of all of that, the first thing he says in this passage is to rejoice always. How do we do that? How do we do that? In James chapter 1, at the very beginning of the letter of James, James writes, Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials, for you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance and let perseverance be perfect so that you may be, be so that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing james is recognizing from the beginning that his audience is being persecuted and so he's telling them in the midst of persecution have joy in the midst of trial have joy because through these trials through these persecutions you are yielding some good fruit you are learning how to persevere you're learning how to learning how to have endurance in your faith and it's those things, those disciplines that make your faith more perfect. It's so easy to have faith when everything in your life is going well. It's easy to go to church when it feels hospitable and joyful and you're making friends and everything is good and you have no financial struggles, no conflict in your family, your job is great, you know, all of that. It's easy to have faith. In fact, I wouldn't even call that having faith. I would call that like being in faithful situations <laughs> in the midst of a comfortable luxurious, very privileged life. Faith is about surrender. Surrendering to the will of God, to being obedient to him. And that will come with trials. That will come with suffering and difficulty. That will come with confusion and at times doubt. But we continue to have faith. We continue to surrender and trust in the Lord, even in the midst of trial and persecution, because we know that his ways are above our ways, that he is in control. In fact, it says even in Hebrews, Jesus modeled this for us. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, the writer of Hebrews says, For the sake of the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand or the right of the throne of God. For the sake of the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross. And I don't think any of us, brothers and sisters, at least any of you listening to this podcast who have the means to do that, are enduring such suffering that is equivalent to or surpassing the suffering of Jesus on the cross. And yet, Hebrews says that it was for the sake of the joy that lay before him that he did that. 
even Jesus was able to see that joy will come in resurrection. Joy will come in the purpose for which he was dying for our sins on the cross. Joy would be the fruit of that. So how do we have joy? How do we take these lessons from Paul and and use them and apply them in such a way where we will have this sense of joy? Okay, so there's a few things that he says here that I want to draw out. And the first is, so he, he says rejoice always, and then we say, how do you do that, Paul? And he tells us, pray without ceasing. Pray, have a relationship with God. Everything depends on this relationship. This is why marriages, really solid marriages, who communicate with one another can endure even the most difficult sufferings or disagreements because they are in relationship. They are in communication. If you're not in communication with God on a daily basis, it's going to be really hard for you to have joy and to trust in him, especially in moments of difficulty. Okay, so pray, have that relationship with God. Then Paul says, in all all circumstances, in all circumstances, give thanks. Uh, And that is having an attitude of gratitude. Can you point out from your day yesterday or your day today so far, three unique things that brought you joy or that you're thankful for? Things that you happened that you were like, wow, like God was present in that, or I'm really grateful that that happened. I'm really grateful I had that time with that person. And to really think about that and reflect on that, like, wow, that couldn't have happened. Uh, You know, that just simply like my day could have gone away where that just could not have happened. But it did happen. And it, I want to give thanks for that. It brought joy or, or I'm just grateful that I was able to experience that. Oftentimes we don't sit and reflect. Or when things happen, we often say, why me, Lord? When bad things happen, why me? Why this? Instead of having an attitude of gratitude and saying like, okay, good. Good. My kids are sick. I can't go to work. Why me? No, my kids are sick so I can stay home with them and care for them and maybe get some rest that I need as well. There's always a way to see things from a perspective of gratitude. Always. Even the greatest sufferings and trials, there's always a way in which God can turn it into something good and we can have that divine perspective to see the goodness in it before God reveals it. So pray, have that relationship, have an attitude of gratitude. And then Paul says, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances. Test everything. Retain what is good. Do not quench the spirit. You know, Thomas Aquinas, he wrote um, about what this means. Like, what does it mean to not quench? Uh, And he says, you're quenching the spirit when you're not discerning through the spirit's guidance, like what you should be doing. He said, you're quenching the spirit when you're not using your gifts to achieve God's will. And you're quenching the spirit when you're impeding the work of the spirit in your lives or in the lives of others. And so I think what I glean from all of that is like, we need to be more docile and teachable. Like, are you correctable? Do you seek out constructive criticism? Do you receive it well? Do you shift when things change? Or are you averse to change and complain about it? Why can't we just keep doing the things uh, the way we've done them forever? This is the way things have always been. I'm the type of person, I hate that type of phraseology. I really dislike it because you get stuck in these ruts where the passion goes away. You, You forget why you're doing what you're doing. Things should always be changing and adapting. I should always be growing and seeking ways in which that I can better myself, better the skills that that God has given me, the gifts and the charisms that he's given me, to hone them in a way where I can better glorify him. So how can you be more docile and teachable? Not only by God, but just by life, the things that happen. And then when things happen, test everything. It's so easy to have a good experience or to meet a new friend and just dive right in or you know, have a sparks with someone 
and start a relationship and then not do the scrutinous work of saying, well, is this really good for me? Is this the right path for me? Do the work of discernment. Just because something is produced in your life that may look good or even supernatural doesn't mean it's what God wants for you. There are other supernatural beings that exist. The demons, the devil, they have the power to work supernatural things in the world. And just because it appears a certain way doesn't mean that we all of a sudden just believe it to be true or pursue it wholeheartedly until we've done the work of real testing and discernment. And when we do that, when we have that protection from God, when we invoke our guardian angel, when we recognize God is with me, but I need to do the work of being scrutinous and always ask myself, is this good for my soul? Is this good for my relationship? Is this wise for me to pursue right now? Is this something God wants for me? If we do that, then that can produce lasting joy because we're not falling into these pitfalls constantly pursuing our emotions or our feelings. We are allowing our feelings or emotions to inform thoughtful reflection and bringing that to prayer to discern, are these feelings pointing me in the right direction or should I recognize there's something else going on here? And then lastly, he says, refrain from every kind of evil. So avoid the near occasion of sin. If you want to have joy, don't fall into sin. Don't go and hang out with the people or in the places or doing the things that commonly lead you to sin. Okay, I use this example a lot because I think it's just really hilarious. But like when uh, I had a youth minister that would say this and I would teach this um, to teenagers, if they were asking me, like, how do we pursue chastity in a relationship? I would just say, avoid dark horizontal situations. Like avoid situations where you're lying down, it's dark, that's going to happen. You know, always put yourself in a place where that would be impossible to happen. You know, always be around five other people, always be in public, always be in group settings, always be in places where you're visible and you're not tempted to go in areas where that could happen and you will be fine. And so the same thing is true of any sin. There are only certain places you have access to any one of these, you know, most of these difficult habitual sins, things like gambling, um, sex, relationships, masturbation, pornography, drugs, alcohol, um, you know, uh, food, uh, abuse of food. Um, you know, eating disorders, things like that, they all happen under the cover of privacy or in certain situations. And so if you allow yourself to have accountability, you don't go in those situations by yourself or you don't go to those places at all. You don't associate with those people who do those things or encourage you. Then you're not going to fall into those same habitual sins. And it's even better if you can replace it with something good and fruitful. And so in this passage, you'll hear these kind of three do's Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks. These three don'ts, don't quench the spirit, don't despise prophetic utterances, but test everything, and don't do evil, as these kind of proverbs of Paul. But the first of rejoice always is kind of the thesis statement, the invitation. The following five statements are, how do you do that? How do you rejoice? All of this is only possible through Christ. And that's how Paul ends. He says, may the God of peace make you perfectly holy. May the God of peace make you perfectly holy. And at the end, for the one who calls you is faithful, he will also accomplish it. If God calls you to it, he will bring you through it. If God calls you to something, he will bring you through all of the trial, the persecution, the difficulty, the suffering, and the struggle to get there. He will equip you with everything that you need to fulfill whatever he calls you to. And so the discernment for us is, is God calling me to this? then let me abandon it. Or if he is, I surrender and I trust. I put these things into practice. I pray daily to have a relationship with God. I have an attitude of gratitude. I allow myself to be more docile and teachable 
I test everything and discern, and I avoid the near occasion of sin. And if we do those things, brothers and sisters, regardless of the season of life we're in, the suffering or the pain or the joy and the, the excellence and abundance we're experiencing, we will have lasting joy. And that can persist in any season, in any difficulty, in any event that will happen throughout the course of our lives. And so let us take these Proverbs, these pieces of wisdom of St. Paul, and put them into practice this week so that we can live in the joy of this season, especially this joyful Sunday, Gaudete Sunday, uh, coming this week in the third Sunday of Advent. That is all I have for you, my brothers and sisters. God bless you. And until next time, I will see you in the Eucharist. Bye.